I'm Andrew Faust, here with Permaculture Perspectives. Today, what I'd like to talk about is the future of our country, our economy, and our infrastructure. Nothing less. So, to begin with, the title for today's talk is Food First, Energy Second. Now, the reason why I think it's important to begin to rank these things in such a hierarchical way is because we've lost sight of the basic importance of food and we've put as a precedent things like electricity and the ability to have all kinds of entertainment technologies piped in to our homes to keep us opiated and ignorant of the true costs of the industrial, militarized economy of the United States. The American people are sadly misinformed and held hostage by a corporate-dominated economy, media, infrastructure, and set of material goods. The reality of our situation as one of the 330 plus million people in this country, we are sadly surrounded by severely contaminated, degraded, denuded, deforested, landscapes. We've been encouraged to normalize these things. Right now, I'm part of something that's put on by Scenic Hudson that's called a solar mapping tool. The only thing that this is making a tool of is the American people and the American landscape. We are becoming a tool for the solar industry. Industrial solar, industrial agriculture, and the industrialized import-export economy is the root of the disease that is killing the American people and the American landscape. The notion that it is in some way discouraging that people don't want to work in an economy that is completely devoid of any meaning other than the totally fallacious notion that perhaps the meaning is for each of us to become upwardly mobile and join the wonders of the 1,000 billionaires we have. This whole notion of allowing the military and allowing the corporate sector to basically siphon off most of our assets and material wealth into the coffers of a bunch of warmongers and a bunch of people who are hoarders, looters, and pillagers is morally and ethically bankrupt. This all emerges from talking about food and energy. When we really understand the 
needs of our existence. It will become clear to you, my dear listeners, why I am so firm in my confidence that it is correct thinking to state that food is the foundation of civilization and that everything we value in our society, in our economy, in our culture, when it comes to things like quality of life and how well we are doing, we will see that fundamentally the first need that must be addressed by our economy and by our land use is food security. And what I mean by food security is retrofitting this country to focus on the need to feed populations where they are. As much as possible, we need to focus on changing how we grow food so that it's done in diversified, ecological, and appropriate ways that are meeting a goal that is beyond the profiteering of the corporate sector and instead meeting the goal of people's real food needs. And what this adds up to is what I like to describe, and we'll find in a number of studies out there, is described as full diet, year-round food supply. Now, when you think about comparing this goal of localizing our food supply lines, shortening the distance from which our basic necessities are being met, and the first basic necessity that needs to be met is food, not electricity. In fact, it is much more important that we set the American people and the American landscape up in such a way that food security is ensured while energy security follows. And what we are seeing right now is, in fact, a lot of polarizing around this positioning for people who want to aggressively advocate for renewables at all and any cost because they see it as a way to put out the fires of climate change. When in fact, if we look at many, many studies around the world, we'll find that in fact, the ecological footprint, the carbon footprint, the amount of fossil fuels used to grow food in the industrial nightmare production manner of food. That type of hazardous material, erroneously called food, has as big a carbon footprint, as much of a energy impact as the amount of juice, the amount of electricity that we use to power our homes and to fuel our automobiles. And what this means is that if you want to solve climate change through 
an initiative. The first initiative is to transform agriculture to be, at the very least, not using chemicals and petroleum products, and ideally to become ecologically restorative and increase biodiversity and food security by moving farming more towards a way of growing that resembles a wild ecology. And this adaptation of agriculture to become ecological, to become local, is foundationally more beneficial to addressing climate change, carbon sequestration, and all the holy grails of the climate advocates, all are much more thoroughly, comprehensively, and in an integrated way addressed by the simple act of focusing on growing all of our potatoes and all of our grains and our staple crops beginning to come more from chestnuts and hazelnuts along with local cultivation of heirloom varieties of corn and wheat. We will see that the degree of benefit from this transition is exponentially more beneficial than simply in Don Quixote fashion, propping up windmills and giant solar arrays so that we can all chuckle about how green we are and move along with business as usual. What is happening is this notion that we should sacrifice our scenic view sheds and our attachment to natural beauty because we are such progressive climate advocates that we think it'll be wonderful when we just have massive solar arrays. And I mean massive. We are talking about ones in the southern part of this region, south of Ulster County and Orange County. We have people advocating for 500-acre solar arrays and calling the land idle and actually having the audacity to characterize farmers who aren't allowed to put solar because the region has been wise enough in some places to say no solar in ag districts. This is essential. Solar does not belong in ag districts. And please spare me this rationalization rhetoric that, oh, but we can farm around solar panels. Nonsense. No point in it. No reason to be splitting hairs about this potential to grow a few lettuce plants or graze some sheep under some solar panels because they don't belong on farmland. Where do they belong? Let's give a list of places that are toxic wastelands where nothing else can be done. Here's some of them. Superfund sites, brownfields, old parking lots, the roof of huge giant superstores, the old 
landfills that have been capped. And in all areas of the country where there is some level of desire to see solar and other renewables rolled out at a municipal and a broad regional scale, we need an energy budget. We need to have some numbers that we can quantifiably fit the amount of these systems into that we need. How many panels, where and why? This is a question I've been asking in these various planning sessions, and all I get is crickets. No answers, because nobody has done an energy budget. Nobody has thought about whether or not we should be producing electricity simply for the people where the panels are being put in. In other words, is the goal for the town of Wolworsing to produce the electricity for the citizens of Wolworsing? Is the goal for the village of Ellenville to produce the electricity for the village? Is the goal of Ulster County and the rollout of solar throughout the county in Kingston to produce the electricity for those municipalities? Or is the goal to export electricity all over the Northeastern Corridor through a means of energy production that is entirely unsuited to the centralized grid because solar and wind both have great variability. And the variability of renewables, and especially of solar and wind, is one of the main flaws in them as a way of producing electricity for the centralized grid system that is designed for behemoth, monstrous, centralized power plants that spew radioactive waste, and in the case of coal, lead, and mercury all over the American landscape, well, they generate a dribble of juice that gets pumped through these 11,000 miles of transmission lines that we have in the Northeastern Corridor, according to the Independent System Operators, which is a consortium of all of the power companies that maintain this infrastructure. And what we will find as we look at these more thoughtful questions about why are we putting in solar and wind, where are we putting it, and what is the goal? These are fundamental frameworks that aren't at all being articulated or paid attention to. And it is clear to me when we have no baseline data about why and how much, we are not by any stretch looking at a implementation initiative that is being well thought out. What we are seeing is a tendency to equate being an advocate of solar anywhere, anytime, on as big a scale as possible 
we see that and are equating that with being somebody who really cares about climate change. And that if you don't get on board with this rabid rollout of 500-acre solar arrays, then clearly you must be a NIMBY who's a climate denier. This is quite inaccurate and irresponsible rhetorically for the purported progressives to be adopting such ideological nonsense. The real obstruction to our health and well-being is the continued contamination of our groundwater throughout this country. The entire city of Newburgh has had the ill fortune of having their water supply contaminated by fire retardants. We have PFAs and PFOAs, neither of which have been banned in this country, both of which are widespread groundwater contaminants that clearly are intensely cancer-causing agents. Recently, 20-some households were found to have their wells contaminated in the Newburgh area with trichloroethylene. We also know that all the households that are adjacent to the Superfund site right here outside of Ellenville, two of which exist, one in Napanock where there was a paper mill and another one where there was an old dump and junkyard, They've all contaminated the groundwater of the households around them, and we will see a clear cancer cluster that is adjacent to these toxic fallout sacrifice zones of the American landscape. Now, to me, those are much more important issues for us to be addressing and eliminating the continued creation of and beginning to create a new economy for ourselves in this country, an economy that is truly by the people and for the people, not by the corporations for business as usual. And the notion that we should simply get head and shoulders behind rolling out as many, as much solar and wind as possible because we have to solve climate change now by an aggressive mounted rollout of these massive energy arrays and that we should just get used to it. Literally, I've heard people in these workshops I've been attending as a bit of a mole so I can get the inside story on what the thinking is here. Literally, I've heard people saying, well, you know, we are used to seeing power lines. We're used to seeing power plants. We just need to get used to seeing solar arrays. Well, Maybe getting used to seeing power lines and power plants isn't such an intelligent idea. Perhaps we could do a better job with how we provide ourselves with the material needs that are made available by the use of these high-impact, incredibly oversized energy systems that we have in this dinosaur of an infrastructure in the military-industrial economy of the United States. This country is so contaminated, so degraded, that it is surprising we do not have a more massive cancer crisis die-off event than we are having at present. And in my view, it is an inevitability that 
these costs will end up being paid in lives by the American people. And it is ending this dependence on fossil fuels, ending this utter life dependence upon imported goods, and beginning a life where we put dinner on our plates and breakfast on our tables in ways that are free, full diet, and locally generated. The new economy is an economy that focuses on food resilience and energy comes second because feeding people comes first. And having a full belly is in orders of magnitude far greater in importance than having the lights on at night, than playing a computer game, or as much as I enjoy them, an electric guitar. The notion that it is somehow desirable to now go 100% electric is an example of this myopic, reductionist, industrial mindset. And it is a mindset that we have been encouraged to adopt as a population who has been propagandized by a media that is owned by industrialists. And when we go back and look over the history of the East India Company, the West Indies Company, when we look at the Opium Wars of China, when we begin to ask broader questions about the history of colonialism, conquest, and keeping people down so that they can be exploited by corporate profiteers, we will find that this pattern of exploitation, contamination, and destruction goes way back into, oh, I'd say, at least the 1500s. And that today, where we are, is at the pinnacle of a process that has been going on for over 500 years. And that process is fundamentally colonialism. And the modern-day version of it involves us being a consumer society who largely depends upon imported products and material goods and electricity that is generated from mined, extracted, refined, and incredibly toxic materials. Should the people of Chester County, Pennsylvania, just get used to looking at the Limerick cooling towers for their nuclear power plant? Should we simply bow down and acquiesce to the notion that what we have to do in order to address climate change is just get used to looking at massive solar arrays throughout what were brilliantly beautiful and productive farm fields? Is there a reason why we dramatically undervalue the importance of these amazing open spaces that can provide us with high-yielding, highly nutritious foods. Yes, they are undervalued because we have t- 
turned food into nothing other than a commodified product that is simply about largely feeding livestock that live incredibly awful and abusive lives in confined agricultural feedlot operations. And what I'm referring to here is that if you look around the northeastern United States and you said, how much of the farmland here actually feeds the people who live here? And you'll find that the answer to that is very, very little. Most of the farmland you see is actually feeding cattle in the Midwest with herbicide-produced soy and corn that those animals can't even digest properly. This is a broken system. This is fundamentally more influential in addressing climate and carbon issues, that is, changing what is going on with agriculture in this country, is more foundational, more multifaceted in its benefits to localize food, to bring food to the people who live where it is being grown from the local landscape. The local landscape and the local people shall no longer be held hostage to producing goods that simply fill the pockets of profiteers and feed tortured animals in a broken and abusive food system. And disentangling ourselves from all of the rhetoric and propaganda around this is not an easy task. We, the American people, have been so heavily brainwashed by a corporate agenda to not notice what is happening right around us and in our very lives. We normalize contaminated groundwater. We simply have become apologists for contamination at a systemic level in order to have some very minuscule creature comforts, electricity, for example. Before the centralized grid, there were no consumer products sold on massive scales. Part of the point of the grid was to sell people junk they just didn't need before the grid existed. And it is time that we take back the power and take back our economy and our autonomy and begin to, as a people, claim our right to our true health, which is our true wealth. And it is this abuse of the people at the hands of a few corporate warmongers that we need to call out and collectively organize to resist, refuse, and reorganize our energy system and our food system and our social systems to be supporting the foundation of life, which is the health and the well-being and the quality of the air that the American people breathe, the quality of the water that we drink 
and that exists wherever we live and the quality of the food that we eat. And what comes last is electricity. You can see what comes first is air and air quality. Second is water and water quality. Third is food and food security. And maybe fourth, I still might be putting it a little early in that sequence, is going to be something like electricity or energy. Because once you have all of those other systems in place, you have good air to breathe, good water to drink, good food to eat, what becomes less important is being entertained to death. Because what is clear is that the entertainment industry, the tendency for Americans to simply become opiated through their addiction to serial comedies and bad television production is a clear distraction from noticing that the air is polluted, the water is polluted, the food's a bunch of hazardous waste that nobody should be ingesting anyway, but is because we consider it to be cheap and broadly available. Yes, to those who have money in their pockets and who don't pay attention to how the food that they're eating was grown. To begin to care about our supply and our availability of highly nutritious, ecologically restorative food grown with integrity is to our economy and our lives is to begin to truly address the foundational problems that are causing climate change, exploitation, and an inordinate foreshortening of lifespans that is taking its toll both in this country and all around the world. So that's all I have for you today. This is Andrew Faust, Permaculture Perspectives. I hope you found it interesting to explore this theme that I wanted to flesh out more for you on today's podcast, which is about food first, energy second. Find us on Patreon, Andrew Faust, and please donate and check out my website where I've put a wealth of information for you to continue to explore some of these themes and others that I elaborate on in my podcasts and my website. For those listening and interested is Permaculture New York and followed with those corporate terms dot com. And we will be looking forward to having continuing conversations with you all and to having you join us in our educational programs, which are truly empowering and informative. Our next permaculture design certification course begins December 11th online, and we look forward to connecting with you there. Be well and have yourself a healthy and fulfilling day on this abundant planet. Thanks for listening.